Russia, Russia, Russland, Russia. Привет, Antelo, to the Why Russia podcast. In this podcast, we ask foreigners who live in Russia one simple question: Why Russia? Today, we are joined by Alan Moore. He's an Irishman living for many years already in the Russian capital. So, Alan, thank you very much for coming onto the podcast. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in Moscow. Good morning and thank you for the invitation. It's great to be on. And yeah, it's great work you're doing, first of all, I must say. I get that flattery out of the way first because it's very important to have voices from, we see it in Russia, art Russian, seeing how people end up here, what we're doing here and so on. So it's a great resource. So I guess back to the question. So I ended up coming up because of work and stayed on strangely because of work as well. And stayed last February, of course, when I moved out of the country, but I stayed on because of, because of the work that I was doing at the time. And yeah, so basically I first moved up. It was the 29th of December, 2007, when I first came up for my first kind of full contract after having between Croatia, where I was based, and Russia. And then I was in and out of the country for a few months, every swath, and because of, I was based in Croatia most of the time, I was still living in Moscow. And finally, in September 2010, I had a year out in Malta, with a football club, and I came back in September 2010. I have been here ever since. Not fully in Moscow. I had a couple of years in Voronezh, but the rest of the time I've been in Moscow. Very interesting. You came exactly 10 years earlier to Moscow than I came to Moscow. Oh. I came in 2017 as an exchange student for the first time. And for me, it's always very interesting to hear like the stories about the old Moscow because I never experienced it. Maybe you can tell us a little bit how the city changed in the last years and how you experienced the change from 2017 to 2020. I would definitely say the first time I was in Moscow was 2005. And I would definitely say that it's a completely different city. It was at the time, it was very difficult to navigate. It was very difficult to get around, not just to get around, but also to comprehend. And it was a bit wild. It was, uh, as you'd remember them, kind of the end of the kiosks everywhere. And it was, it's very unfair to say wild east. What I could say is that things cleaned up in every single sense. And it got enough look better and safer and nicer and more beautiful as a city. And I saw that go out around Russia as well. For example, I was. I very strong links on the Volga and it is like my home city in Russia in that sense. And there it has undergone huge changes from being depressed, run down and feeling bad about itself suddenly growing up and feeling strong. And the same with Moscow. And even though a lot of people would say, for example, Moscow City, I was working there with our partners going out there one or two days a week and when it was being built. And I would never have believed from 2000, let's say the start of 2008, until now, 15 years later, the immense change that's taking place out on the Moscow River. I would definitely say that the World Cup, well, I say beginning in 2013 with the World Athletics Championships, that really moved things along. But from 2016, 17, and then into 18, the changes that took place in Moscow, especially, as we speak about Moscow, especially, have been absolutely immense and extremely impressive. And I will definitely say a lot more visitor-friendly, not just for Russians, but for foreigners as well. Sometimes I get the feeling that many Irish people are living in Russia, more Irish people than from other European Union countries. Am I right in this assumption? The biggest basis of Irish people would be 
which would be natural. Remember Brussels and Belgium and Holland because of the European Union. So that would be understandable. There's a lot, of course, in Germany because a lot of Irish went to Germany, especially in the 70s and 80s as well, when there were massive building projects going on. So they, there was nothing to do in Ireland. There was a lot to do in sports and so on and, and just enjoying pub life. However, for work, it was absolutely terrible. So a lot of Irish people went to Germany, for example. However, Russia holds a very special place for a lot of Irish people. And they've been going back decades, going back centuries. There have been very tight connections between Russia and Ireland. Same as with Germany and Russia as well. Um, so I, a lot of people who came out here initially would have come out either with, let's just say, Arienta. Now, Arienta is the Irish Airways. And they had initially, the first ever duty-free was in Shannon Airport in Ireland. and was set up for US troops flying back because he would land in Shannon, change, and then fly on, or refuel and fly on in the southwest of Ireland. So that's where the first duty-free was. So duty-free then was being set up in Moscow. Up until not too long ago, it was in Domodedovo, runway duty free mine people. That, that, a lot of people came out with that and came along on the coattails of that as well. And of course, a lot of people came out to do with mining and minerals, sass and oil as well. So there was that kind of business element to it as well. But there was also a cultural element. A lot of people stuck here with that as well because they came due to education. So they came out to, to work at university. It was funny because I had never seen myself to work at universities other than giving a guest lecture every so often, sports management, media or something like that. But then end up for over five years working in a, a couple of Russian universities as a director of one of the college, one of the, the international office. And then I could see from people who would have become like you as exchange students, suddenly they fall in love with the country and want to stay. And it could be due to relationships as well, that they met the guy or girl of their dreams and they stay. And so that there is that kind of connection. But Irish people are very happy to travel anywhere. And even though Russia does seem so far away, it's so alien, and especially to Irish people because we prefer to go to England or to America or Canada or Australia, Russia has that sense of adventure. And also the mentality is quite similar to the Irish in that there's a great warmth and family element to it as well. So it's like what, as I was explained, it was explained to me by a former Russian ambassador that Russia is like Ireland 30 years ago in a sense where family still has that base importance. I guess a lot of us then, or a lot of us people find, let's just say, comfort in that as well. If you compare a normal day in your life in Russia, in your life in Moscow, with a normal day in Ireland, how would it be different than in Ireland? Oh, God. I feel homesick right away. It's so long since I was fully working in Ireland at first because I left after graduation like six to go to Canada to play soccer in Canada. And then I've been I was a couple of years in Germany, done in Marble in Hesse as well, and working made many sports. So when I'm home, when I was home in December, for example, so I did have open days in December in Ireland. The difference would be the pace of life is a lot slower, even still in Ireland, though it has in Dublin, for example, where I'm from, even though it's very busy and stressed, it's still an awful lot more calm than here in Moscow. And yesterday we had at Gaelic football training, I was speaking to a Mongolian medical student who trains with us in our sport. And then she says that she doesn't like Moscow. It's too big, it's too stressful, it's too busy. The community around Gaelic football was in our club, Moscow Sharmops, gives her that kind of moment twice a week on Tuesday or Sunday to just be calm. And I heard that quite a lot as well. So I think that's the thing that it's the community that is a big difference. So at home, where I would be able to go to the local, we call it GAA Club or Gaelic Athletic 
association club and go there and meet with friends and the training. Here it's very different, so you don't have that. So the pace of life here is a lot quicker, an awful lot more stressful. And you, you tend to miss, uh, not to meet people as often as you would at home. However, I will caveat that and say that when I was living in Veronish, time moved a bit slow, an awful lot slow. When I was working at the 2019 winter university in I suddenly had time in the morning. So waiting, jumping up and grabbing a bite, then running to go to the office or go to the college or to the university or wherever, maybe go to a meeting, a studio. I suddenly had time to have a cup of tea and to read a book in the morning. Even though my body was ready to wake up and go, it was, Moscow is a very different beast. It's very different. It's not like any other city I've ever lived in or even visited. So I think that that's a different situation. Even when I was in Mumbai 20 years ago, 20, 21 years ago, it was completely different. It was busy, but you still had time and it was still kind of yeah. less stress in the area. And even, okay, I was a tourist in that sense. But in Moscow, no, it's well all the time. So I think just the biggest difference is less free time. You mentioned already many sport aspects and it seems to me that you're a big sports guy and you also started or you're part of this radio show. It's called Capital Sports. And maybe you can tell us a little bit how this sports show about Russian sports and international sports came into being. And also maybe you can tell the people how they can listen to this radio show. So with the radio show, it's a slightly changed. However, it began in, was well, it kind of a strange story. It's when I was working at Verona He purposely left sports behind in November 2013. I was just tired. I just wanted that to have you do sports in war, working full time. And then I got dragged back into it with my little. And in 2014, the New Year's Eve, I made a promise to myself that I would get back into sport, but not so much in the working with athletes and club sides. I really was tired of that. I was just, you know, it was just draining. But toward the media side, which I actually enjoyed, and which I'd been working in almost part time, but unable to go full-time because I was dealing with athletes and clubs and federations and matches and so on and traveling. So I made a process out that by the World Cup, I would be working more about full-time. And I, is it a joke to myself that I'd become the go-to guy for Russian sport. I was just like gradually moving along, little by little. And then December 2016, a friend went said that the Moscow FBM, which had been on the air, had been rebranded to Capitalism. And she said, you should contact them there because I'd done some work with Moscow Media, who were the holding company. And so you should get in contact with them and chat about a sports show. And I said, okay. So I sent in a pitch to the station director, Alexander, and he was a huge sports fan, huge part of Moscow matches. And in January, we spoke and then that was it. It was all quiet. And then in April, the, oh God, at least the 10th of April, a couple of days before I was asked, he phoned me and said, Commit for a chat and commit for a chat and said, look, we should go on to the show. We soft launched it last week just to try it, but it was disastrous. How would you like to go in and have a chat? I said, okay. And so I went in the Saturday, Saturday afternoon, simply to speak with the host. There were two hosts, then they had dropped one host. So I was like, okay, so I'll just speak with the host and talk about sport in Russia or whatever. And I went into the studio and sat down. And some jingle came on. It was like a capital sports with Alan Moore. I'm just like, oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> Why is this Alan Moore person? And I looked at the guy, his name was Max. I'm like, oh, and I, for a second, I was quiet. And I looked at him, like, what is this? So eventually it turned out that, yeah, that I appointed kind of a, a, a co-host of this show. And there were no, at that moment, they had no guests, no nothing lined up. So 
I immediately phoned a friend of mine who was a sports journalist and a friend of mine who was the, the CEO of the Russian Football Players Union. And they came on the show as our first guests and we rescued it. And then afterwards, one day I went in and I said, what happened? And then Alexander said, no, you did great. So that was 2017. We were mainly building up for the World Cup. As time moved on to 2019, we were getting great ratings. We had great guests. We had guests coming on the show and we moved to time slot as well. And went from Saturday to Wednesday. And then back, and when they put us in, our listeners followed us. Like it was long story short. Then when COVID began, it was funny. The 1st of March, I flew back from Ireland. I've been in Germany for a week on holidays in Köln, Bonn, Aachen. And then I came back to Ireland for annual meeting for Gaelic Games in Ireland. And I flew out on the 1st of March, 2020. And I was on air that night. And I remember I could not, I was very ill. I felt really ill. <clears throat> Going back in the taxi from the airport, lay down for a couple of hours, did the studio. And there was video of it. I, luckily, I think it's been removed. <laughs> but there was video where I literally couldn't lift my head off the desk. I couldn't, I could, it was just about enough to push the buttons. I was getting sick. I was, re- I was burning up with a temperature. I eventually got home that night. I got help home that night. And the next day on the Monday was on Sunday night and I couldn't. And at that time, I'd actually been spinning because I'd moved over to not just hosting, but actually controlling the show as well, producing. So that was kind of tricky every so often. Because I was actually broke a radio station, but we survived. But the next day on the Monday, I couldn't go to work and I phoned my miserable silver. I literally can't lift my head up until I'm really sick. So she said, we'll be in tomorrow. And then the next day she, I couldn't get up again, but eventually I did. I got a taxi to work and it turned out that I had cold. So I, I wasn't the first one. So anyway, so the, the show went into a sort of a, a distance mode, shall we say. We we're doing clips for weekly clips for the show, but not, we couldn't go into the studio. It was all shut down a week and a bit later. And it was two weeks later. And just when we had peaked in our ratings for our show, we we're getting, I think it was 200 at the time we had, before we got much bigger listenership, but at that moment we had got 280,000 listeners per hour. It was huge. And then we went up again. So anyway, we, we came back in August and everything kept going. And then eventually in April, 2022, so five years after we launched, we had the radio station changed from English to Russian because of well, political issues. And we then, our contracts with other radio stations that were taking our content continued. So we just continued on. So now with Capital Sports 3.0, uh, you can listen to it everywhere, but on YouTube, they have the links as well. For to listen. But you can, the show goes out live every Sunday night at, in Moscow time, it's 10 o'clock and CET 8 o'clock. So, so the long, it's a long story, I'm sorry. And a long I'm story, sorry. Yes. it was a roller coaster. It's about what kind of Russian sports do you talk the most? For example, I love the Russian hockey. I'm a big hockey guy. I love to watch the NHL, of course, the best league in the world, and also the KHL. It's now in the 15th oh. season, and it's considered to be the second best league in the world. And I love to travel around Russia to watch the hockey games. It's not just Russian teams in the league, also teams from China, also teams from Belarus and from Kazakhstan. Before, teams from Finland even. I was in Helsinki watching Jokerit Helsinki game against Moscow oh. back then. So I really love the hockey. About what kind of sports in Russia are you talking the most on the show? Oh, always got the biggest listenership. And I don't, I dispute the second best league in the world with you. 
It just because I would always say the DEL is the second best. I worked 20 years ago on a project with uh, Colonel Hines, absolutely local to watch Cologne play. And one, some of the best all I had was actually watching the Devils. It's just a wonderful break. And so on. football mainly, hockey does come up. We had, before many, many times we had deals with different clubs. For example, look to Moscow, they got us into broadcast from their stadium. And that was terrific. It was so well-timed. We began in uh, July. We agreed in July 2017. And that season, they won the league. So we were there the whole way through, broadcasting live every set, every game. All the way through they won the, the Russian tie book. And we were there celebrating with, with the team. My son is a huge fan of G Moscow. So with football, same with Dynamo, Spartak, not so much. But with ice hockey, we had a deal with the KHL. So before, so we would cover different games. It was a pity. It was really obviously when Finnish teams and Slovak teams, was Croatian teams, that they all left the league. But the standard of hockey is very good. And we did work with Spartak Moscow hockey as well when different athletes, like, and I just blanked his name, the goal, former goalkeeper from Slovakia, played with them. I don't know where he is now. He would come and do interviews with us and so on. Mainly it was football. We have hockey and then a wide range. So many of the things we did was very much different to Russian sport where we would we had spoken in depth and I'd always spoken in depth when I was working in sports but say the problems with doping so in 2012 I'd written about the issues in Russia with doping that how it needs to be stopped and this before became a thing shall we say not just in Russia but in other places as well so I sort of had discussed it here and pointed out direct things also when we worked with athletes they signed in part of the contract was that if they were caught doping, they, they would be, we'd sue them. So we had instances with that. Also social issues surrounding sport as well, and issues of athlete welfare and so on. So we had, again, we had, we had guests who would never come on any Russian shows. So the head of BBC Sport would be on, has been always one of the leading, let's just say, sport, football. He writes with, he's a soccer writer for New York Times, Tariq Panjad, he's from England. Um, he was always regularly as well. We had the head of one of the French TV channels, federal channels, who used the head of sport and So we were very, very fortunate to get really good sports people and athletes, footballers from Davis and Chuff, and we would get different guys on. Brennan, a lot of people who speak with us, you wouldn't speak with Russian media, but they spoke with us. And it was useful because then Russian media, or Russian sports media, even, would pick up pieces from our show and quote us. And the best thing was actually, we got, we got a letter from the Welsh assembly in Wales, a protest that we had defamed Wales. We joked on the show, someone, one of the guys said, very interesting, is Wales a country? And they were like, yes, it's a country. And then the Welsh, someone listed, wrote us a protest that we were being with Wales. We also had write up in the British Daily Mail or English, English Daily Mail, and which actually turned out to be great because what they wrote about us, they turned out to be what we said was true. They said, oh, this like Russian show and said, this is this. And so that was, we covered an awful lot of sports, an awful big interviews. Uh, I think the best thing we did was we were supported from the management of the station. Basically said, do what you have to do, do what you want and have fun. We did get it. We did get, or I did get pulled up a few times for different things that we said. Or that we might have sometimes we were laughing too much. It's oftentimes said that Russia is not a football country. And when we look at the results of the Russian teams over the years, we can probably say that the potential is there, but the results never match the potential really. Why do you think this is? And maybe you can tell us also what is the most popular sport in Russia? Is it hockey or what other niches maybe we miss when we look at Russian sport? 
That's a brilliant question. You had a, a sports journalist who said that Russians are athletes, they're not like genetically predisposed towards sports. And it wasn't about that they need drugs to be better. It just says that they weren't good athletes, which I think was very funny. I, I think it depends. Like most countries, it depends on the season. Before in England, for example, in the summertime, it was all cricket. So cricket just took over everything. That's all you'd hear living in Ireland. But in England, it was cricket. Then as soon as September hit, football. Truth of May. Here it's the same, except it is a little bit messed up now the way the season has gone. It used to be slightly bigger because it ran through the summer months. So it was kind of a different beast, shall we say. And ice hockey didn't go winter. So it was that kind of two-tier. Basketball is very strong here as well, and volleyball, of course. But if we go regional, we'd also say that there are certain sports like the Russian club, Bandy, is extremely big in some areas like Krasnoyarsk, uh, Ulyansk as well is very big. And there are different areas, depending on the climate, depending on the region, that certain sports stick. So, for example, down in the, the Caucasus, you'd have wrestling would be extremely big. And that would be bigger than football. Ice hockey would be huge in Siberia. It's logical. And it'd be far bigger than football in many ways. You go to Novosibirsk, we'll see Sibir play. It's just, it's chaos. Um, and then you get cities, of course, Moscow is just a complete mesh of everything. Some areas said, for example, in Krasnoyarsk, rugby is huge. So you'd have rugby is very strong. If you say look, football as seen as the national sport, because it's the biggest sport in the world, that people say, it's different. Like, I think Russia has needed to have an overhaul the structure for development of youth for a long time. It hasn't happened. And I think that when it does, eventually, Russia will be a lot better. It's not like in hockey where there's a proper system which was set down after football. So from the, the 50s and 60s, after the second war, they sent down a structure, had to develop players, and there's a production line that goes through and gets players to the NHL. That's not really the case for football, where it's very strange. And in many clubs are extremely dysfunctional, even the best clubs, and they're not able to develop players correctly. So I think it's, and again, Russian football, Barwall club, Krasnodar, every other club is in, in the top tier is insolvent. So basically tomorrow, if Gazprom say, look, Zenit, that's it. Zenit will drop down the leagues, even though they've got a huge support and it's a huge hot and football town. It'll disappear. So that, there's a whole load of issues around football has stopped its development. And I think as well that now they're looking at Europe and Russian clubs will never be at the top of Europe, even the Conference League, even the Europa League, definitely the Champions League. There was a chance, of course, we covered the capitals for Russian would go to Asia. And still to me, that seems like the best best for long-term development because I think in European football, we've seen Borussia Dortmund who've been chasing the dragon and uh, went bankrupt. Bayern Munich are a beast, but they still can't keep up with Juve or with Chelsea. It's a different business and Russian clubs are unable to keep up with. So if I understood correctly, you are in favor of the Russian Football Federation moving to the Asian leagues and playing, for example, against like Arabian clubs, maybe Cristiano Ronaldo. And this would be quite an event if like a Moscow team plays against like exactly. Riyadh or something. This would exactly. be interesting, yeah. Why not? Asian football is amazing. I lived for two years in Saudi Arabia and the club footballer in Saudi is huge. Russian clubs going out there, Russian national teams going out there would really boost Asian football. Russian clubs wouldn't immediately win everything. It would be difficult for them, even if they bought in great players. If for now, we'll keep on to play for Spartak. They still might not win because it's a very different system in Asia. However, I do think that for long-term development, it would be for the best because I do think in Europe, Europe is going to fracture again. The old European Super League, which in great fairness to 
German clubs, especially Bayern Munich, they refused to take part. And that killed a lot of the momentum. It really did shut the people who wanted to push for it. So I think that Asia will be a way ahead. And I think that the future could be there in the next, not the next five years, 10, 15 years. Cristiano Ronaldo knows where to go. And he's showing us all. Yeah, definitely. It would shake things up. It would be definitely interesting to see it. Now we come already to the last question, Alan. And the last question is, of course, you as an Irishman, you can tell the audience, where can they find the best authentic experience of an Irish pub in Moscow? Oh, I'll get myself in trouble no matter what I say. The place where we would go for at Moscow Shabbos, we're at GA, we have our table quizzes there. We would go to a place called Paddy's on Belarusca, which is owned by Irish people, managed by Irish people. So it's very much authentic and the food and drink quality is assured. So it's very good. I would have like business meetings there. I would have meetings there because it's clean, looked after and yeah, it's not overly expensive. It's quite good. The other place, which is then you can feel relatively at home wherever you are in Russia is there's the chain called Harrods. And I first came across it in Voronezh when they opened Voronezh and then I was in the one in Ulyanovsk, Krasnoyarsk, and obviously in Moscow. So there's one, for example, Novi Arvat, which is great. It's close to the October cinema. And <clears throat> it's really nice, looked after. The food is good, the drink is good. It's safe as well. So you know what you're going to drink. So they, they would be the two pubs. There's other nice pubs like Silver's, for example, Kurskaya, and um, Kate O'Shea's on Prospect Mira. But the ones I would say, my name would be what's called for a, a very Irish experience will be Paddy's on Beverly Sky. And if you want just a nice evening, uh, which is still an Irish feel to it, with the nice kind of good people around you, will be Harrods and Oviara. So they're the two I reckon. For food and for drink. Alan, thank you very much for your time and for sharing your experience as an Irishman living in the Russian capital for so many years already. I think many listeners will definitely have a pint in one of the pubs that you recommended after they listen to the episode. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thomas. Thank you for having me on. After listening to the conversation so far, maybe now you're interested in moving to Russia. Or maybe you even have some questions regarding a visa for the Russian Federation. If this is the case, I can wholeheartedly recommend the team of movingtorussia.ru. They have answers regarding all the matters of relocating to Russia. To remind you once again, it is called movingtorussia.ru. 